Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. Today is part two from Pastor John's sermon on Luke 17, 11 through 37, called, Do You Want to Be Healed? Today's question is, when will the kingdom come? Well, it's closer than you think. Are you ready? And while you're here, be sure to subscribe and hit the like button and leave a comment. God bless you. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 17. The entire passage is 11 through 37. We started with this last week. Um, we'll be covering verses 20 through 37 this week. And while you're finding that, let me tell you, let me tell you a story about my early uh, career, my illustrious career. I, you know, one of the first full-time jobs I had was running a tops and bottoms store, t-shirts and jeans. And uh, I, I was skyrocketing up and, you know, I was almost assistant supervisor to the area director of sales. And I knew I was up for this promotion and it was going to get me all the way up to about $25,000 a year. I knew I was going to be in the big money. And I got passed by on the promotion. And I, I was disappointed. And, you know, objectively looking back, I, I was qualified. I probably should have gotten it, but, but I didn't. And I was upset. And so I'm working at a mall, and I'm out in the middle of this hallway in the mall talking to the uh, manager of another tops and bottoms store across the hall from us, and I'm complaining about, they passed over me, it was a supervisor, you know, I think he's got something against me, I don't know why he doesn't like me, blah, 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 blah. And so he's looking at me and kind of touching me on the shoulder and stopping, and finally he goes, what if your supervisor heard you? And I said, oh, he's 500 miles away. And he said, he's closer than you think, as he was looking over my shoulder. And I turned around, there's a supervisor. And I've said all this terrible stuff about him. And so he, he, he gave me some news that wasn't really encouraging. But I want you to, I, I, want you, I just want you to remember, he's closer than you think. He's closer than you think. And, and when you find out that somebody is closer than you think, um, it will either fill you with joy or maybe a little bit of apprehension. So keep that in mind as we go through our passage today. The passage comes with two previews of the kingdom. Uh, we looked at one of them last week, uh, and it was the cleansing kingdom, uh, verses 11 through 19. And, and the, the second preview of the kingdom is the coming kingdom, and that's the passage we're looking at this week, 20 through 37. Last week we asked, are you healed? And, you know, we talked about the healing that we pray for, the healing that sometimes we expect. And we heard that the, our relationship with Jesus Christ is the guarantee to the ultimate healing that we will have in eternity. Yes, there are times that, that we need to be cleansed here on earth, and, and God is faithful to do that. And there are even times when we need to be physically healed, and sometimes that happens as well. But we're not called upon to be disappointed if we pray for physical healing and don't receive it because we have the promise of the ultimate healing in Jesus Christ. The most important healing that we will ever receive as believers in Christ is the eternal one, the healing from sin and death. And that's guaranteed us by the death and resurrection of Christ. So, our sermon title for this morning is, Do You Want to Be Healed? Part 2. And this is all about the kingdom. Uh, our passage comes with, with six clues about the kingdom, six whispers, I like to call it, uh, whispers in your ear. Uh, there's a request in verses 20 through 21. 
There are rumors in verses 22 through 24. There's a rejection of the king in verse 25. There's rebellion, whispers of rebellion in 26 through 30. And then there's a whisper to run. And I think this is probably going to surprise some of us. And that's in 31 through 33. And the last one is a whisper of retribution. I'll explain what that's all about. 34 through 37. So let's take a look at this first whisper about the kingdom, this request. Now we need to bear in mind that, you know, context is everything. You that have been with us for a while know how important it is to understand the context if we're going to understand the passage. Jesus has been on this long roll about the kingdom since somewhere around chapter 11 or 12. We're up to chapter 17. He's been talking about the kingdom. And if, if you notice the flow of the book, his descriptions get more detailed and more intense as, as he moves on with his disciples towards Jerusalem. So the Pharisees have heard everything he has to say about the kingdom. A lot of it's directed at them. So they're the first players in this passage. In verse 20a, the first half of 20, we hear that Jesus being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, the Jews are waiting for the kingdom. That's part of their culture. And what they're asking him is probably not so much a question that they're hoping he can answer, but they're probably trying to catch him in something. They're probably trying to, to uh, catch him in coming up with some date or some formula or something uh, that will prove to be wrong. And because the Jews had a culture where they prayed for the kingdom. So I, I believe that this is what they're doing here because they were constantly talking about the kingdom, when it was going to come. They prayed regularly, uh, the coming of God's kingdom, the expectation that Israel would be delivered, that their enemies would be vanquished, and that all creation would be made new. Now, they were fairly right about that. But it was a matter of constant discussion among them. And more than a few of them would get into debates over what signs were going to occur before the advent of the kingdom. And some even had formulas that they predicted where it was going to happen. And it was always sometime in the near future. And they were, they were always wrong. Now, if that, if that sounds just a little bit familiar to you, isn't that the same thing that happens around here? I mean, in the church, in particular here in the United States. I mean, it seems like every year, somebody steps forward and says, Oh, the Lord's coming back. And for whatever reason, I don't understand. It's in September. It's always in September. The Lord's coming back. We don't know the exact date, but I've figured this out and I've seen this. And there's some colored moon that's up in the sky right now. And there's some cow somewhere that's a different color. And that means the Lord is coming back this year. And we hear it almost every year. That's what was going on in, in Jerusalem at the time. All, everybody's projecting the advent of the kingdom and, and it never comes. So the Pharisees are saying, well, Jesus, you know so much about the kingdom. Why don't you tell us when you think it's going to come? It's a trap. So they thought the, Jew, the, the kingdom would come in a clear, powerful way. They thought there would be incredible signs in the heavenlies and signaling the arrival. And so how does Jesus respond to this request for a date. He answered him, 20b, the kingdom of God, watch this, is not coming in ways that can be observed. Now this refers to those who are looking for these 
signs and spectacular wonders in the heavenlies. He says, that's not how you're going to see the kingdom. In verse 21, he says, nor will they say, look, here it is there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? In the midst of you. Wow. Jesus' whispered answer is you don't have to go hunting for the kingdom. You don't have to come up with a bunch of formulas. You don't have to look at what color the moon is. You don't have to look, when, when is the latest earthquake? When's, when's the latest storm? They're all, we've got to get ready. The kingdom. You don't have to do any of that. The kingdom is here. And the word that he uses to describe this is that you are intimately acquainted with the kingdom. Now, he's a hop and a skip away from telling them that the kingdom is actually inside them, but he's not there yet. Jesus is trying to tell him that his arrival inaugurates the kingdom. Now, that's a theme that we've seen in Luke over and over again. And I've told you this before. I wish Jesus was a little bit more explicit. I wish he would go, the kingdom is near. Now it's further away, get it? That's the way I would have done it. Of course, I would not have been nearly as close to the truth as he was. He's saying that I'm here. I'm the kingdom. That's what all the signs and miracles you have been watching and hearing about mean. The Jews were right. They were right that it would be accompanied with with wonders and things that had never been seen before. But they they were missing it. Jesus is healing people. He's restoring them. He's casting out demons. He's he's doing all sorts. He's changing water to wine and all that. And they're going, well, we'd like to see a sign. See enough signs and you'll convince us. The kingdom arrives in and through Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they've been waiting for two thousand years for and they're missing it so when they say when will the kingdom come when that whisper goes out Jesus whispers back it's here it's here so next is a whisper of rumors about the kingdom how are people going to hear about this kingdom kind of what they're saying Now Jesus turns to his disciples, his followers, and he tells them how the kingdom does not come. Watch this, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now this is a warning, this is a caution to his followers. None of this is going to look like what you expect it to look like. I just told them it's not going to be in a way that you can observe. I'm telling you, this is not going to be what you expect, at least not in the beginning. So now Jesus is beginning to change the conversation. And he's beginning to talk about the fact that he'll return. And justifiably, they might be standing there going, Return? Where are you going? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The Messiah is here, and he's going to go away. He's been trying to tell us for a long time. It's not sinking in, but he's going away. And, that, and, and we find this when he says, there's going to come a time when you want to find me, and you can't. You won't be able to physically locate me. 
And none of this, he wants them to know that none of this negates the fact that the kingdom is here and is in Christ. But this is just the beginning of the kingdom. It's just the inauguration of the kingdom. Jesus has already warned them that there might be some hardship involved in all this. And that he might be the first one that will go through the hardship. That there'll be some suffering. He told them he's going to die. The birth of the kingdom is not going to be a pleasant experience. It's going to be hard. It's going to be brutal. And his disciples themselves may have to endure a lot of pain before the process is completed and perfected. It's a message we might need to hear today. There is, there is an ultimate kingdom coming. But there's no guarantee that we're not going to have a hard time while we're here. Some of you are experiencing that right now. That's why our eyes need to be set on eternity, not on our circumstances. Our circumstances can overwhelm us. They can fool us into thinking there isn't any kingdom at all. Jesus' followers need to be careful. Careful not to fall for lies and false teaching. We see that in the next verse, 23. And they will say to you, look here or look here. Do not go and follow them. Other folks are going to try to lure Jesus' followers off track. He's over here. He's doing that over there. Go there. He's down there. We've seen that. There's an outpouring of the Spirit down south, up north, out west. There's amazing things happening. Jesus is in Kansas City. We've got to go there and see him. All these things we have to do to access the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit when all along it's been guaranteed to us from the beginning. Jesus says don't follow for that. People need to stay on course because... Verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now, that sounds a little bit like signs and wonders, amen? Heaven's going to light up. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. It's not what he's trying to convey to them. That he's trying to say that his return will be sudden, that it will be visible that it will be unmistakable. There will be no speculation. There will be no doubt. There will be no hesitancy. You won't have to go anywhere. You won't have to do anything. All you have to do is stand there and bask in the glory of God as he manifests itself on earth. What an incredible day when all the believers will see the Lord returning and stand there in awestruck wonder. Won't even have to go to Kansas City. You see what Jesus is doing? He's preparing his followers for what's coming. He's telling them that the promises that he's made them are good because he knows that they are going to encounter a dark hour when their faith might be shaken. He knows they're going to come on a hard time when their belief might be shaken to its core. He says, hold on, I'm coming back. I told you I'd come back. When you hit that dark hour, just hold on to me. Hold on to my word, and you'll see what happens. It's a promise to all of us. Don't be distracted. Stay vigilant to what you've been called to do. Jesus knows that they're going to need this encouragement. 
He knows that those whispers and rumors can be unsettling. He knows it can create doubt. And he wants his children to know him and wants them to know his word so they don't get shaken. Because even at those whispers of doubt and rejection, we see an incredible thing happening. Watch it, verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. We hear again about the Messiah suffering, running into hard times. It's the fifth time we hear this in Luke. It's a sub-theme going through Luke. Jesus tells his disciples that this suffering, what they're about to experience, is a necessary part of what God is doing. And they need to know that it's a necessary part so that they don't believe that things have somehow gotten off track. Uh, God is reverting to plan B. Uh, Things aren't working out the way that everybody thought they would. They need to know that this is part of God's plan, that the return of Christ cannot occur until he has suffered and been rejected by an entire generation of people. And, And know this, it's not just the Jewish leaders that are going to reject him, it's everybody. It's everybody. Now, we've got to be careful. I was talking to a guy a couple years ago, and we were going through a passage. And he said, well, it says right here, all men. And I said, well, you know, you've got to be careful because sometimes in the Bible, all doesn't mean all. And he got really mad at me and spilled his coffee. <laughs> what, what kind of ridiculous thing are we talking about? All doesn't mean all. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, I said, you know, when we hear that all people rejected him, yes. Yeah, there were some people standing at the foot of the cross. Some people ran, but they didn't reject him. They still believed in him. So it's a general term. All doesn't mean every single individual. There are some, actually many, that are going to believe in the Lord. Many that are going to follow him. But the majority of the people are going to turn their backs on him. Nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years. The majority of the people do turn their backs on him. It's the same thing. Whispers of rejection in about three months from this point in Luke are going to become a shout in Jerusalem. Crucify him. Crucify him. And along with those rejections will be a whisper of rebellion. Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man, Now, Jesus again is back on his return. I'm not sure they understood all this, but we have the advantage of hindsight and being able to look at it. He's talking about his return. And his prophecy seems to be covering the entire time between his presence here on earth and his return. What will things going to be like when he comes back? It's going to be a familiar scene. It's going to be just like the time of Noah. Verse 27, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, the Jews are familiar with that. They get the whole thing. Noah and his family, the only survivors, everybody on earth did. There's a big debate over whether or not it was a worldwide flood. God says it's a worldwide flood. I believe it. I believe everybody's wiped out except for Noah and the family and the people that are on the ark. So, 
He relates another familiar scenario. They know about Noah, but in verse 28, he says this. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That sounds like bad stuff. We hear that the rejection of the Savior occurs because the people have become evil. Not everybody, but most of them. Again, these are two scenarios that the Jews would be intimately familiar with. They would understand all this. Noah, Lot, times of judgment, times of absolute terror rained down on everybody who was ungodly, and that happened to be most of the people. Now, their behavior is described as, I mean, when we look at this, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and buying and selling, planning and building. What's wrong with that? Isn't that, isn't that what we do? Aren't those the things we have to do to survive? I mean, particularly back in an agrarian culture, I mean, those were the necessities. All of that, all of that sounds fairly ordinary. Most people would be doing it. Yeah, they're normal. But Jesus is trying to tell his disciples something really crucial here. And the people in those times were doing all they did. Watch this. We're doing everything that they did apart from God. God just wasn't part of their lives. You know, we've been talking for a long time about the priority that Jesus should have in our lives, the priority that God should have in our lives. There was no priority of God in the lives of these people. The Creator was being rejected, or maybe even worse, ignored. People gave no thought to Him. Does that describe today? People indifferent about God? Oh, I'm an agnostic. No, you're not. The indifference towards God is what rained down all of this judgment. So in Noah's day, God directed the building of a boat to save the people that were faithful to him. What a picture of grace that boat was. The rains came and washed everyone else away. Worldwide. Lot's was a bit more local. Angels were sent to rescue Lot and his family, to get him out of town, while God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, destroying both towns and all the people in both towns. All the animals, everything, gone. And what Jesus wants his disciples to hear, what he wants us to hear, is that living in that manner incurs severe judgment. Living in a manner that doesn't give God the priority he deserves as the creator of the universe incurs judgment. And that this judgment will fall on all those who live apart from God. That's why the message of the gospel is so vitally important. And why it's so vital and vitally important to this time today, because that judgment is going to fall on everyone who is so busy with life that there's no time 
for their Father in heaven. Wow. Both scenarios are brutal. Both scenarios are ugly. And as brutal and ugly as we see this sort of thing in Scripture frequently, the events in the Old Testament are pale shadows. They're just a portent of compared to what will happen when Jesus comes back for the final time. What will happen to those who ignore or reject him? Hmm. That's going to look worse than Noah's reign and Lot's fire and brimstone all wrapped up in one. This is a prophecy. And it's delivered by the Son of God. Is there any chance this is not going to happen? It's going to happen. The question that we all have to answer is, is it going to happen to me? Where will I be on that day? What will my relationship with Jesus Christ be on that day he comes back? Well, there's a way to escape all this destruction. There's a way to be immune to these whispers of rejection. Jesus is not going to leave us hanging because the next whisper is a whisper to run. Now, I think, I think this is not going to be exactly what you think it is. Watch what happens here. Uh, verse 31, on that day, on that day when he returns, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Now, let me describe what a house was like back then. It was usually a square uh, building, and the roof was a place where you would go and relax at the end of the day in the evening. It would be a little bit cooler up there. The steps to go down from the roof down to the ground level were on the outside of the house. So if you were in a hurry and wanted to get to the ground level, you would have to come to the ground level, and if you wanted anything in the house, you would have to go back in the house to get it. You didn't come down through uh, the, the roof into the house. You came outside the house. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. They would understand that. Un who was on the house up with his goods in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Now Jesus is trying to paint a picture here. His advice is to run away from the destruction. But we understand the scope of the destruction. We also understand there's no way to get away from it. There's no way to get away from it physically. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 tells us that everything's going to burn up and melt. Where are you going to run? So this is a get away, go over there. This place is being destroyed. Everything's going to be destroyed. What Jesus wants people to know is this. Don't be so tied up to your possessions that they interfere with your heavenly calling. Don't give them a higher priority. Don't let your earthly things weigh you down. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. Don't delay. In other words, you can't take your belongings with you. The image of the man in the field is the same thing. His harvest is before him. His work is behind him. Don't turn around. Don't turn back. Don't worry about what was. And Jesus makes all this perfectly clear when he says, remember Lot's wife. Hmm. Christ wants to drive the point home here. What about Lot's wife? 
The angels warned Lot about leaving Sodom and said, when you get out of town, don't look back. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know what happened. Lot's wife looked back. What happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt. That's pretty severe for glancing over your shoulder, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I always thought when I read that passage. I mean, I'd want to see it. <laughs> but they were told not to, and she did. And now Jesus, Jesus tells us what was going on. She wasn't just looking back. She was longing for what was back there. It was a longing for what was a desire for her old life. And just to make sure that that point lands, Jesus explains it in the next verse. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. Give it up. Put your eyes on Christ. That's where your future is. It's not back there. Don't allow yourself to be anchored to these things. Ultimately, the things that we anchor ourselves to can become more important than God. Isn't that the lesson of Lot's wife? God said, don't do this, and I did it anyway, because those things were important to me. Surely God would understand that I can violate his commandment because my intentions were good. Don't get so anchored to them that they drag you down. You know, there's a funny thing. Uh, people have studied what happens in airplane crashes. And uh, not everybody survives airplane crashes, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they're not so severe. And the staff on the airplane is trained to get everybody off the airplane and away from it as fast as possible. That's why I have those rampy things that you slide down. You know, and, and they'll tell you, get down there, run, run, run away from the plane. Okay? And the biggest problem they have when an accident occurs is people trying to get their luggage. This plane has fallen from 35,000 feet and is about to explode, and people are worried about, I've got to get my phone. I've got to get my computer. And more people die after the accident that could have been survivors had they not gone back. That's what Jesus was talking about here. It's what he wants us to remember. The message is, don't get so tied down in the world that you lose your perspective on heaven. Don't get so enamored with the things of the world that you forget about God. The whisper to run is a whisper to run toward Christ. He's our only hope. He's our only salvation. And the repercussions of not doing that are serious. And we see that in our last whisper. Whisper of retribution. This is a whisper of judgment. Verse 34, I tell you, this is Jesus talking. In that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Some people think this, this describes the rapture. Have you been taught that? I was. It's not it. It doesn't. I mean, you can see that it's not talking about the rapture. If you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 24, uh, where the ones who are taken away are taken away to judgment. So you want to be, in this case, left behind. Amen? 
And that's what they're talking about here. And what we should see in these verses is not who gets taken away and who gets left and, and who's left behind and, and so on and so forth. But what we should see in these, in these verses is that there's going to be a separation between those who are faithful and those who are not. And it will happen at home and in the field and in the workplace. It's going to happen everywhere to everybody. There are going to be two types of people at the end. Those who know Jesus and those who needed Jesus and didn't come to him. And he seals his teaching with this. And the disciples said to him, where, Lord? See, this is how we know that the ones that are being taken away are being taken away to judgment. They said, where are they going, Lord? The ones that are taken away, where are they going? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. You don't want to go there. Disciples want to know where those folks are taken. They're going to a place of torture and rot and decay. And the clear implications of everything Jesus is saying is that his return and the coming judgment will be readily apparent to everyone. What a day. There's going to be no doubt. And I'll tell you something. In that, in that moment, there will be no doubters. There will be no atheists. There will be no agnostics in that moment. Everyone will understand who Jesus Christ is and why he came. And for some, it's going to be too late. A prophecy from the Son of God. I'm coming back. Don't reject me. Don't be rebellious against me because I'm coming back and you don't want to be in that position when I arrive. So there we have our, for the whole passage, two previews of the kingdom. We had the, the cleansing kingdom. Last week we heard about the perfect and complete healing that we can receive for everybody that's in the kingdom. For those who have confessed their sins, those who believe in Jesus Christ and have allowed him to be Lord of their life. And this week we had the coming kingdom. There's six whispers. You know, we had this request, when will the kingdom come? It's closer than you think. And it began for us, it began 2,000 years ago. It's not something that we're waiting for. It's something that we are living in. But there are rumors about the kingdom. Believers should be very careful about what they believe and what they hear and what they embrace. There may be some trials involved. The rejection of the king, the whisper of Christ's suffering, and the rejection are all part of God's plan, God's perfect plan. Nothing's gone off the rails. So we need to understand this, that if the suffering of the only Son of God is part of God's plan, so is yours. So is mine. It doesn't make it any easier it doesn't mean that we need to place a happy face on it. It just means that we still have hope. That we still have eternity to look forward to. Regardless of what we're going through today, our hope is in Christ and His return and His promise to return. He suffered, we may. And somebody came up to me the last time we talked about this and said, but John, I'm not suffering. I don't think I'm saved. It's not a prerequisite. <laughs> it's not a prerequisite. Just remember that when we run against those dark hours and the night can be so long, 
But the dawn is coming. And the promise of glory rests upon us. Will manifest in us. See the whisper of rebellion. Serious consequences of those who reject. Or even worse, ignore God. And the whisper of retribution. Judgment is coming and it will be harsh. Somebody said, I don't like to hear pastors talk about judgment. It's so unpleasant. It's far more unpleasant than you think. It is far worse than you think. And God has put us here to warn people about that. We need to beware. We need to be careful. We need to be ready. Because Jesus is closer than you think. I never recovered from my faux pas in the mall. I turned around, my supervisor looked at me and said, I heard everything. I came to tell you that we had a position for you, but I think I'm going to tell you that you're fired. (laughs) Caught me dead to rights. Why? Because I said and did something and I didn't think he was near. Let that govern your day. My supervisor couldn't get any closer to me than he was, but Christ is in us. Christ is in us. Oh, what a blessing. Amen? I don't know if I like it all the time. He hears everything I say. He sees everything I do. What's even scarier, he knows what's in my heart. And the most incredible thing is that he loves us anyway. He died for us anyway. Knowing what was in our heart, knowing what we would do, knowing what we would say, he died for us anyway. Our hope is not in what we do or say. It's what he did and what he says. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this incredible grace that you have shed upon us, Father, so abundantly. And although we walk in a manner that is not worthy of our calling, Father, that we do things that are not worthy of your presence, that we do things that are not worthy of honoring your Son, you still love us, Father. Help us to be those transformed people. Help us to be those vessels of grace and mercy and love and compassion you intend us to be. That we might walk, not by our power, but by the power and presence of the Spirit in a manner worthy of our calling, worthy of your presence, worthy of being heralds of your word and representatives of your love. And we pray this in the precious, holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out today. Thanks for joining us online. We'll be back again next week.